G'day and thanks for joining us for this week's Two Ticks Town Talk, a segment of the Australia Talks podcast. I'm DK. And I'm RD. Please enjoy this segment from the regular podcast. Now, this week's Two Ticks Town Talk is a little bit different from normal. Uh, We're going to be heading south to Tasmania specifically to King Island, which is a large island just northwest of the main island of Tasmania. Uh, And I'm going to tell you a little tale. So the largest town on this island is called Curry. It's got a population of 768. And this is our town for this Two Ticks Town Talk. But this isn't so much about the town of Curry. This is more about the founding of the town of Curry, because this is quite an interesting story. So the town is named after the town's founder, Archibald Curry, who was a Melbourne ship owner. But we'll come back to him a little bit later on, because the story of the town of Curry really is actually the story of a ship, a ship called the Netherby. The Netherby was a ship owned by the British Black Ball Line, who was under charter by the state of Queensland to carry immigrants from the United Kingdom to the new colony of Queensland in 1866. So just a few years ago. Sailing from the East India Docks in London, the Netherby sailed to Portsmouth to take on its final group of immigrants before sailing, setting sail for Queensland. Now, the ship's master for the voyage, and I swear to you this is true, his name was Captain Owen Owens. <laughs> <laughs> and she had 452 immigrants on board and 52 crew. Now, the ship was supposed to go around the southern tip of Tasmania, but Captain Owens decided he was going to pass through the Bass Strait instead. Approaching the Bass Strait, overcast conditions prevented the master from taking observation of the sun for five days. And at about 7.30pm on the 14th of July, 1866, a lookout suddenly called breakers ahead within three minutes the vessel had sailed straight into the rocks some 35 miles south of cape wickham which is the very northern tip of king island thankfully the netherby ended up very close inshore and it was canted over shorewood meaning that the If you can imagine a ship's tilted over on its keel, the side with the deck was facing the shore and the other side that was being hit by the ocean was was the keel. Right. So because of that, the sea was sheltered. uh, The people on the deck were sheltered from, from the rough seas, though the sea that night was actually quite calm, which was good. One of the crew... One of the... Wasn't... (laughs) Wasn't frightening at all. Everyone's fine. Don't worry about it. So one of the crew managed to swim ashore with a line, uh, which then was tied off to a much heavier line that he then pulled in uh, to shore. And then one of the boats was launched and was hauled to and fro, ferrying all people on board to the beach safely. 
provisions and gear were recovered from the ship and the tents were made from the sails hung from framework cut from small trees in the local area. This is crazy. Two days after the wreck, a passenger on board gave birth to twins, bringing the total number of castaways to 506. So every single person on board was safe ashore at this time. It should be said, King Island at this time was it's basically uninhabited. So Chief Officer John Parry and eight of the crew set northwards to find habitation. Five days later, five days later, they met up with Superintendent Hickmott of the Cape Wickham Lighthouse which is at the very northern tip of the island. After they'd recovered from their ordeal, Parry and four of the strongest men set off to Melbourne in the lighthouse's boat. On the 21st of uh, July, remembering they shipwrecked on the 14th, so on the 21st of July, Parry and his companions landed near Anglesey on the Victorian coast. Now... This is pretty significantly far south of Phillip Heads, which is where they were trying to go through. They intended to make landfall in Port Phillip Heads, uh, but uh, because of the currents, they made landfall significantly south of that. And they wandered through the bush. Do you know if they were rowing or it was a sailboat or what the story was? I believe it was a small, it was a long boat. So it was a small sailboat. Okay. they wandered through the bush before they found a shepherd who immediately ran <laughs> off, fearing that they were bush rangers. <laughs> um, they, did, they did manage to catch up to him. Uh, they told them who they were, and he led them to Road Knight Station. Here he was loaned a horse, and he rode 35 miles to Geelong. From there, the news of the wreck was finally passed on to Melbourne. The Victorian government did act quickly and they immediately provisioned the steamers Victoria and Pharos and they sent them off to recover the castaways on King Island. On the 24th of June, Victoria returned to Melbourne uh, with 200 passengers while the Pharos shortly uh, arrived afterwards with 50 passengers and 30 of the crew and the two steamers returned again to King Island, and they landed the remainder of the castaways on the 28th of July. Most of the survivors elected to stay in Victoria, with some of them continuing on to Brisbane on board the ship, the city of Melbourne, arriving on August 6th, 1866. Now, I just want to interject here. I have a real problem with (laughs) 1860s Victoria uh, people in Melbourne calling their ships the Victoria and the City of Melbourne. Couldn't you come up with any better names? Come on. <laughs> it's very confusing. <laughs> um, so I hear you now, my dear listener, saying, hey, DK, that's a really cool story, but what the hell does this have to do with the town of Curry and its namesake, Archibald? Well, the shipwreck and its cargo was sold in Melbourne at auction to a syndicate including Myers, Curry and Boyd and Jay Donaldson's and Co. They bought the ship for 150 pounds and the cargo for 170. 
these amounts approximately today are about $26,000 for the ship and $30,000 for the cargo. So they're, they're purchasing the shell salvage rights. The main cargo uh, to be recovered was railway locomotives and rolling stock, amongst much lots of other items, including uh, like on the ship. So this was this was a reasonably large ship. ship. uh, Sorry, just make sure I haven't just vagued out here and missed something. The ship that came over that was carrying the people, the five hundred people who wanted to. Immigrate to Australia was also car- carrying locomotives and railway yes. railway stock. Yes. Yep. Wow. Ow. That must have been. <laughs> yeah. That's huge. It's a it's a pretty big ship. I'm just trying to look up. Uh, I don't have the exact. Um... So is this a is this a small ship or is it a steamer or it's a like you said you said yeah, no, something no, it's, that it's a, the, um, it, yeah, from um, wherever it was, Melbourne. From Melbourne, yeah. So this was a sail ship. Um, it wow. was. It's called. It, it, its designation is a full rigged ship. So if you can picture in your mind uh, a reasonably large ship. So this this ship was uh, fifty three meters long, um, and ten meters at the beam. So at a, at its widest point, it was ten meters wide, fifty three meters long. So it's pretty big. Pretty big ship, and when we call when we say a full rigged ship, it's got three main masts, and they all have square sails like three stories tall. So in your mind, you're probably thinking of maybe wow. like something from like Pirates of the Caribbean or something like that. It's sort of bigger than a lot of those ships. It's a very big ship. Um, I'm just it, coincidentally enough, the um, uh, fence we've got around our place. Is fifty-two meters square. So when you said that oh, fifty-three, yeah, look, that's pretty big. But if you had said that, I would have thought, oh, that's you know, sort of a bit, a uh, little bit sort of cramped for five hundred people. Then you say, oh, and by the way, there's a locomotive in there and a couple of other railway rolling. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that they were. Look, I don't have explicit information on on the on the locomotives, but I believe they were probably smaller locomotives used for like cane or, or logging or something like that. Because a full size yeah, locomotive uh, just surely probably couldn't fit. I would imagine, um, because I. Its registered tonnage was 960 metric tons. So I can't imagine it could carry a full. Yeah. Um, now, anyway, that's the story. The team Sorry, that. Was a, that you just got me visualizing this, uh, this, this ship with this its three ship. story mast. And, yeah. It's a big ship. Sorry, it's a big okay, ship. Carry on. So uh, the team that uh, were assembled to recover the ship and its cargo included the aforementioned Archibald Curry and they arrived to set up the salvage operation in the nearby natural harbour this would become the town of Curry unfortunately though on the 21st of January 1867 three of the salvage team were drowned when their boat sank after a piece of railway iron fell through its bottom while it was hoisted from the wreck so I don't have much detail from that, but what I can piece together is it sounds like they were on a reasonably smaller 
sort of like a rowboat-sized boat, and a piece of railway island has fallen from a height, basically threw it, and the boat sank and and unfortunately killed them. So, um, it seems that the recovery went on for quite a quite a few years, or at least Archibald Curry stayed in the area because there were a number of other shipwrecks on that coast, um, and the British Admiralty. He also used the natural harbour, which is now called Curry Harbour, uh, to salvage some of their own vessels. Um, and in 1879, Archibald Curry and a few others petitioned to get a lighthouse built outside of the small town. Um, it was 312 pieces and was prefabricated in England by Chance Brothers of wrought iron and cast iron base. The cylinder in the centre has 90 spiralled steps to its top and it was first lit in 1880. The King Island's rugged coastline has claimed at least 60 vessels and more than 800 lives in the past 180 years. So I think Archibald Curry, with his recovery operation, salvage operation, was around for quite a while, which is why he has basically established the town um, and continued to be a big part of it. So Curry is also the most western town in Tasmania, just by point of fact that it's the most western town on the most western island of the state of Tasmania. And today it is a significant centre for the fishing industry, especially crayfish. Um, Whilst I was, this is completely off topic, well, slightly off topic, but whilst I was actually researching this, I discovered that Tasmania and Victoria have a land border. Did you know this? Oh, you you know, I I. Do know this. I can't tell you the island, but I seem to recall in when I was looking up a two ticks town talk that there's some little island that no one particularly cares about that's not inhabited that technically with the way that maritime borders and things are drawn, half of it's Victoria and half of it's um, Tasmania. Am I remembering that correctly? Yes, almost exactly perfectly right. So it turns out there is an island called, well, it's not even declared an island, it's an islet. Uh, uh, It's called Boundary Islet, or also known as North East Islet. Um, It's about five acres, so it's not that small, um, but it's part of the Hogan Island group in the Bass Strait. It sits at the latitude of 39 degrees south uh, 12 minutes and no one actually knew about this when the border was drawn and it's a maritime border at that latitude and because no one specifically knew of it at the time um they just thought oh yeah all the islands in here draw the line on the map everything south of that's tasmania everything north of that is is victoria and just by (laughs) complete chance the islet's perfectly straddles the maritime border and it's almost perfectly cut in half. Um, The Tasmanian slide is slightly larger, but it's almost perfectly down the middle. Um, And as a result, technically, Victoria and Tasmania actually share a land border, um, though no one lives there. it's, It's very much a big rock. So I don't, I think... 
I don't think many people have been there and, and walked across the border or anything like oh. that. But I did sort of encounter this while I was researching this, and I thought it was a bit, a little bit cool. So if you if you live in the town of Curry or if you've been to the town of Curry, the 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 area around it today, there's like there's not a lot in this town. It is very small, um, but it services. It is it's still the largest uh, town on King Island, um, and it mainly services. There's a lot of um, uh, agriculture like grazing and, and farms and that kind of stuff on King Island today a lot of fishing and, and stuff like that so um, there's not a huge amount other than the history uh, and like I said the town was basically founded by uh, a shipwreck and there is uh, an area now where the Netherby uh, uh, basically came ashore and wrecked called called Netherly Rocks. There's a Netherby uh, Point as well, so there's a bit of history there as well. Um, so if you're in the in the area now, you know how this town came to be and what there is to do and see. Because it sounds like there's not a lot else out there, but that's the little town of Curry. Wow, that's interesting. I'm surprised at how many shipwrecks. Well, there was two things I was particularly surprised at there. Uh, it was an interesting story of how they had to bloody get in the the boat and take off and 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 uh, head for the uh, head for Victoria. But I was surprised that there was already an uh, an already a uh, lighthouse there, and I was surprised at just how many bloody ships. Yeah, there so. Were- it's not. It's, it's just, not, you know, a just huge bef- island, but I mean, it's big. It's no. it's, it's, it's it's noticeable yeah. on the map. It's sort of thing. Poor bucket. The chances of Jack's Bass Strait and hitting a bloody island. Yeah, it's about sixty. It's quite. It's sort of shaped like a jelly bean, I guess, um, and it's about sixty-three kilometers tip to tip. So. Um, it's not it's not huge as far as islands go, uh, you know, on the grand scheme of things. But it's about twenty twenty two k's at its widest point from from uh, you know middle to middle, sort of shaped like a tic tac, I guess. Um, but the reason that they uh, and I, I did cut this out for time, but I guess I'll tell you now. The reason in eighteen seventy nine that Archibald Curry petitioned to build the lighthouse was because right outside of the natural harbour, um, there is a number of rocks on the southern edge of, of as you're coming into the harbour, and a ship shipwrecked right there, right in front of the harbour. And so they were like, we need a bloody lighthouse here because in inclement weather or or in fog or anything like that, um, you just can't see it. So today, uh, so so in the story, the Wickham Lighthouse is at the very top, the northern tip of King Island. But, of course, where the Netherbeak ran aground is, is more sort of towards the southern end of um, which is where the town of Curry is now um, of King Island, but today there's the Curry Lighthouse, the Wickham Lighthouse. There's also one at the very southern tip called Stokes Point, and there's one on the the western side as well. Um, so all four sides have lighthouses. The Curry Lighthouse actually ceased operation in the 80s, so it ran for about 100 years. And then in the 90s, there was a petition to get it up and running again because, you know, modern modern um, 
GPS and all that. We didn't really the use of lighthouses have sort of become somewhat redundant. Um, but they did for historical reasons. Um, it is the same lighthouse that was built back in the the eighteen hundreds. Um, they did get it up and running again in in the nineties, and it's been running ever since. So as far as I know, it still operates to this day. So which is a little bit cool. Wow, that's very cool. That's uh, that's interesting claimed um yeah look that's that's one of the things i like about this two ticks town talk you get to uh hear these these snippets you wouldn't have heard otherwise yeah like i said a little bit different from last time but a bit of a fun story uh about a little town and honestly how did i find this i was looking at the map and i've never ever gone and looked at anything on king island before and for some reason i can't even tell you why it just tickled my fancy and i just went from there um and i just got lost in this rabbit hole so (laughs) that's the beauty the beauty of the two takes town talk though is King Island uh, the bucket list for? Well, probably not bucket list. I mean, that has a whole lot. K- King Island is somewhere <laughs> that I'd like, to, I'd like to go. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's yeah. just. I mean, it's, it's I might a, now go to to see some of the shipwrecks. Yeah, well, yep, and it's always interesting having a little bit of a a, a taste of it, and it's something that you don't sort of really sit down and people say, oh, where'd you go for a, a bit of a holiday? I went to King Island. I mean, I, I, well, actually, I don't know anybody who's been to King Island, but obviously, you know, I've, I've eaten their cheese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, because, again, big dairy area and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I think it would be fun. And this is the beauty of these Two Tech Towns talks. We always find places that suddenly, you know, everywhere is significantly, there's, there's something interesting about every place in the entire world and it's just you just gotta sort of scratch the surface to find find the details.